Hi, my name is Hans-Peter Meyer, and you're listening to the Lyft Startups podcast series, all about the entrepreneurs, creatives, and small businesses who are growing the next economy on Vancouver Island. Hi, Amy. Hi, Amy, you there? I'm hi. here. Sorry about the glitches, and uh, hi, everyone who's listening. Uh, today, I'm talking with Amy Robinson of Loco BC. Amy, what is Loco BC? Loco is a not-for-profit organization. We've been around since 2009, and we're working on the economic sustainability really making sure that we educate the public and businesses and others who purchase about how and how their money supports strong communities, how it supports uh, businesses, and trying to retain as much of that community as possible. So uh, we're really focused on the, the importance of independent businesses, local businesses, small businesses, all these words we use independently. Uh, the importance in their in our community and um, and how they how they support uh, good jobs and support other other local businesses making communities strong. Um, how did local uh, get started? Well, as I mentioned, we got started in 2009, and I had been involved with another group in the Lower Mainland that got me connected to a wider network in the States called the Business Alliance for Local Living Economies. And they are a group, we were started by a group of social entrepreneurs that were really the first to try to implement social values into the corporate structure. And so some of them became the very first uh, B Corps. And um, and what they found is that if they still followed the trajectory of business growth and ended up, you know, maybe going public, that it was very difficult to maintain those social values and, you know, good jobs being, being uh, providing good livelihoods to their to their employees and, you know, buying from local farms and other service providers if, uh, if they followed that, that standard trajectory of growth that, um, that our economy often, um, often requires. So, so they started uh, the Business Alliance for Local Living Economies trying to focus on staying small and what, uh, what could be done instead of growing big, uh, growing deep into uh, and becoming more interconnected in the community. So that's, that's really got me excited about, uh, about what could be done by starting a group here that was focused on that. So when you say here, you mean BC, Vancouver, where, where did you start? Well, we're based in the Lower Mainland, and we do networking events mostly in and around the Vancouver area, Metro Vancouver. But we work in partnership and with organizations across the province. So we do research and education campaigns to educate consumers and others about the power of their purchasing when they buy with local businesses. So we work with with business groups, um, business of business improvement areas, chambers, municipalities, um, businesses, 
um, across the province. So we have uh, we have partners that we work with in in northern BC on the island, uh, across the Lower Mainland, now in the interior. So um, so some of our work reaches reaches other places, and mostly what we're doing there is providing um, providing the high level research and statistics on why it's important to support local businesses and some of the some of the tools to to allow those areas to engage in a bi local so- campaign. What do you need to to uh, support the work you're doing or to move it forward? Well, there's a couple things. We need partners, and uh, and so we are constantly on the out on the lookout for new partners. And like I said, those can be. Sometimes it's a municipality. Sometimes it's a chamber of commerce. Sometimes it's a it's a local business um, advocacy group or a startup group incubator. Um, and so, ideally, it's a it's you know, many of those things at once, the best projects that we work on have, uh, have many different groups with roots uh, in the community involved. So we need partners across the province. We also do, uh, after by local week every year, which is the first week in December, we do a survey of independent businesses across the province where we are trying to gauge the impact of campaigns on communities and retailers and restaurants, and also what the challenges are to businesses, independent businesses across the province so we you know need partners to distribute that survey across the province and get good data um, every year and um, you know I would say lastly businesses we we really want them to understand what their impact is so many of our projects are educating businesses on what their impact is you know how they provide great employment even if they're not using 100% local ingredients or whatever it's never going to be you know all or nothing in our in our current current economy and so we what we hope that businesses will do is is get plugged into understanding what their impact is and to talk about it because they're connected to to their customers and consumers and if it's such a so much more powerful Powerful when they understand it and can talk about it because they they're really frontline in the economy. Are there any examples of, of businesses that are doing that successfully? Yes, we worked uh, some of the campaigns I mentioned where we're working with different organizations. We've uh, we've done several. We did one with the city of North Vancouver, and we did another one with. Um, Envision Financial and uh, Ladner Business Association, the Delta Delta Chamber of Commerce's tourism group, and we engaged in a campaign where we educated businesses, and then and then they filled out our community impact assessment, and then we told their stories on our bcbylocal.com website, and so. That what's great about that is we've had a lot of businesses go through our community impact assessment, and many of them say that they that they knew that they were doing a lot, but that it helped to have the figures around, you know, how much of my, how much of my purchasing is local, how much of my, you know, inventory is local, how much of my service purchasing is local. And so we've had really many leaders in, uh, in sustainability go through that process and come out of it feeling like it was worthwhile because now they had the facts and figures behind what their impact really was. Now you guys have, played with the idea or maybe not more than play experimented with member a membership model where is that at and and what do what what were members getting or what do members get um we we have always had a membership and but we're not really a membership uh service organization we um we started out and we've always struggled with that how much um how much to to 
you know, try to provide that value to businesses. And absolutely, when you join Loco, you get a profile on our website and we try to talk about the good things that you do in terms of your your purchasing and your employment practices and other and other good things. And people do use our website as a sourcing directory. So we know many bigger corporations, government bodies, institutions, and other businesses that go looking for, um, you know, service providers and, and consumer facing businesses on our site. But we realized pretty quickly on that there are many other organizations trying to provide services to business in that way. And that we, if we were going to do that and try to continue to really build the movement for the buy local message in BC, which is our, our main focus that we were going to be spread too thin. And so, um, you know, we still have a membership and those, those members, you know, they get value out of, out of, uh, you know, loco, like I said, in their the profile that we provide them, and in some ways, the that their practices have been verified. It's a bit of a trust mark in some way to be a local member and say, "Hey, I, I care about this, and I and I'm trying to practice what I preach in my in my business practices." But um, increasingly, we're relying on those members as you know examples of the best practices in different businesses, and uh, we rely on them to be engaged in our research. And uh, you know, they they are often the first ones to hear about in- interesting new projects that we're working on to support local businesses in different ways. And um, and you know, in lots of ways, they're using that uh, membership fee to support the the work that we do. Um. You do like, like as you said, you do research. Uh, then every year you do a survey. Uh, what were some of the interesting findings from last year's uh, survey? Well, we find so we we measure the impact of our by local campaign, and so businesses do say that the. Um, the buy local campaign, either ours or another one that might be run in their community. Um, for instance, we work with the um, Northern Development Initiative, and they have their own um, they have their own campaign up there called uh, Northern Love. So it may be our campaign, it may be some other campaign that's uh, that's local to the area. And we measure the impact of that, and then we measure the impact of buy local week as well. And businesses tell us that it's it's really valuable. The the campaigning is valuable in that not just that it brings more more customers to their neighborhoods, where or their their businesses area and their business increased sales, but that also it's educating the media and local politicians and other decision makers who are impacting them around the value of local business. So. So that's certain about our research. And then I would say we're also asking businesses what the key challenges are for them so that we understand how we need to advocate for change in the enabling environment for independent business success. And in um, so really this these the stats aren't out for last year's campaign, which was just in December. We're still collecting data. But for uh, 2016's December campaign, the key challenges were that uh, overall they say that customer traffic is down in their neighborhoods and that it's difficult to find uh, labor. We certainly hear a lot about labor shortages in the in the urban areas in um, in the province these days. So they say it's difficult to find qualified employees that health benefits are costly, that um, 
they have big competitors sometimes that receive better pricing and terms. And then they're definitely feeling competition from both brick and mortar chains, but also from increasingly from internet uh, retail. So e-commerce is really on the rise and, and uh, independent businesses are often struggling to, uh, to capture that market and to adopt the digital technology needed to, um, to compete online. And um, marketing is always an issue. We, we hear that uh, most businesses don't either have the money or the know-how to uh, market themselves effectively, particularly digital marketing as things are changing so quickly there. Do you, do you guys... So the, on, sorry. Areas. No, those are some of the main areas where um, where businesses are struggling. And then I'd say lastly, the, it, the in urban areas, we're finding that um, affordability of commercial space is becoming such a huge issue with the real estate crisis in various areas. Any bright spots? Any bright spots? Well, we asked them what their challenges are, so they're, they're, not, they're not telling us what's going well, other than that their sales are, you know, we asked them whether holiday sales are up and whether they're making revenue. So revenues are continuing to, continuing to increase as well. Uh, we did hear uh, just, like I said, our data is not in for last year, but we did hear that sales weren't as high as expected last year. So we'll see if the data plays out. But that's that's just what we're hearing is that um, people expected strong sales over the holiday period. But I think that uh, many didn't uh, didn't see the sales they expected. Now, you know, communities vary and I'm sure there are across BC kinds of trends. But um, when I look at at a place where we're located in the Comox Valley and we have three very different uh, little town centers, you know, Courtney being the biggest, uh, Comox next, very different demographic from Cumberland where I'm sitting right now. Uh, and Cumberland seems mm. to be thriving. Uh, and downtown Courtney really has, seems to have bounced back after a low from about six, seven years ago when, when many uh, storefronts were um, seemed to be closed. So, uh, what kind of things do you see local communities doing that that work? Well, you know, we're doing some research around that right now, around what works and talking to different communities uh, across the province. And there, there aren't there's no silver bullet, I would say. But the one strategy that I have seen consistently that's worked in um, in some places is pop up retail. So what happens is often one or two storefronts close and then the, the community, it's kind of a downward spiral that the foot traffic goes down. And so the um, the existing storefronts really struggle or the area gets a negative perception in the community. And so all of those things end up end up hurting and it takes a lot to bring it back. So we have been looking at at the viability of pop-up retail and so encouraging landlords to rent their spaces temporarily and um and in one case we found that um in it was in toronto actually that we saw this in the uh, danforth east area that they've garnered community volunteerism to fix up the spaces and uh kind of ran in a request for a proposal process where they they asked for, you know, startup businesses or businesses that might be, you know, home home based crafters who've sold out of farmers markets and things like that to come and try out retail temporarily just to prove the viability of their model. Mm -hmm. And they managed to to decrease 
um, vacancy in that neighborhood from 17% down to 6% with that project. So, so we have seen that used as a model and, um, you know, I think that there's good opportunity for that in other places, but it, it requires a lot of engagement. And so, you know, typically there's different groups who are trying to work on these issues, you know, business, business groups and chambers of commerce, and then the municipalities are always concerned, but not always really equipped or feeling like they have the, um, the mandate to, you know, to support the business community in some ways. And so the, particularly the project in Toronto, we've seen, um, you know, engaged a lot of different groups and had foundation funding. And, and so they really engaged with community groups. And like I said, got, got volunteers out to, um, to really get people excited about the success of, uh, of the area. So I think that there's some weaving uh, that needs to be done of different organizations to, to make those things happen in different communities. Um, there is one project that's just starting in the Chinatown area. That's that um, in Vancouver. Consulting, yeah, exactly. A consulting group and uh, the Strathcona BIA in Vancouver are working on, and they're working with the Chinese benevolent societies mm-hmm. who have, you know, housing, and then they have retail spaces. Many of them are empty, and so they're working on a project to market those spaces to neighborhood serving businesses that would, you know, provide goods and services that the, you know, folks that live in those, in those housing and that housing could afford. So that's just, they're just launching it, but I'm excited about the potential for that. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm very interested in the work that you're doing. It's certainly um, uh, the concern with local economy is what inspired the work that we're doing with Lyft startups. Um, And we are focused in the Comox Valley, but we're interested in connecting with entrepreneurs across the island um, so if there are opportunities for us to to connect and uh, certainly to share your information uh, l- let us know mm-hmm. uh, where can we find um, uh, your your research findings so they're on our website at locobc.com and then we have you'll see that that the by local campaign is listed as one of our projects right. but there's also so a website for the more consumer facing work that we do. And that's bcbylocal.com. Okay. Now you also have uh, launched a hashtag several years ago. Um, can you just tell us what your hashtag is so people can? Absolutely. <laughs> I was just thinking I better say, I better mention the hashtag. So the hashtag is bcbylocal and we encourage locally owned businesses, you know, and those with local grown and local made products to use that hashtag. And, you know, part of the benefit of that, it's really taken off. And, you know, even the province of BC, when they launched their agricultural funding on BC Bible, they've promoted that as well. And what that does is really helps to illuminate the market, which is part of the goal of our campaign. And you'll see at bcbylocal.com, there's a social stream that comes in when you use that hashtag on Instagram or Twitter, it'll, it'll pull it into our social stream. Cool. We do a similar kind of thing with, <clears throat> with a couple of hashtags that we've developed. Um, I, you know, and one of the things that we're trying to do with uh, Lyft is educate people on how to use social media to support local businesses. So uh, the work that you're doing is, um, uh, I mean, it, it's inspiring for us. Now, I'm glad uh, to hear. Yeah. Our campaign is digital for that very reason, to try to engage businesses to, to promote themselves online. Okay. Now, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to talk to you, or I'm going to ask you some questions about you as as a basically a social entrepreneur, because uh, you were there at the beginning of BC by Local. Is, is this something that you founded? 
I did. Okay. Well, our next set of questions are about you as an entrepreneur. So um, talk to you again in a couple minutes. Okay. Sounds good. Hi, Amy. Hi. Now, you are the founder of Loco BC, right? That's right. So you are, for lack of a better word, a social entrepreneur. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Now, what I know from my work in community economic development is that our communities are complex, have complex economies, and that our nonprofit sectors are very, very important to the health and well-being of our, of our for-profit sectors. So I'm really interested in, you know, what, what drives, inspires, motivates uh, social entrepreneurs to do the work they do. So I've got a few questions here for you. Okay. Um, what's, the, what's your favorite thing about the work that you're doing today with Local BC? I mean, you know, connected to why I do the work that I do, my favorite thing is really just hearing the stories of local businesses and how passionate they are and, and how hard they work to do, to do the work that they do. And so I'm, I'm always amazed when I get to sit down or hear the story of a new business that's doing, you know, great things with their purchasing or employment and, and uh, how, how driven they are, how committed they are to their, to their communities and, and really being doing, doing good things uh, through business. So that, uh, that never ceases to amaze me and kind of keeps me going. And, uh, and then I'd say that, you know, we do business support work and research and, and sometimes that looks like consulting work. And so, um, I get excited by putting teams together and working in partnership with, with others. Loco is a pretty small organization, but we work with, you know, some of the best um, organizations that do community engagement work or retail studies or, um, you know, planning work. And so uh, I get by getting to work with, uh, with folks who are at the top of their fields and on various projects. And, you know, on the partnership theme, we work with organizations across the province on our independent research, our independent business research. And so that's that I love too, just, just getting connect, to connect with different communities and, and different people who are, who are committed to making things happen in, in their towns. Um, what's your background? Like before you were doing local BC, what, uh, what, what were you doing? So I did in school, I did political science and then, and then environmental protection technology. And I, so I kind of came at it from the environmental end of things, but got quite interested in business. And so I ended up working for the, I worked for various levels of government. I worked for the UN for a while on um, industrial development and how it affects the environment and, and communities. And then came back, uh, I did that overseas. And then I came back to, to Canada and worked for the regional government around, you know, uh, environmental protection and regulation. And then uh, morphed that into sustainability work with businesses. And increasingly worked with smaller and smaller businesses and and so I did a lot of work around uh, sustainability so you know kind of the social and environmental side of things for uh, for smaller businesses first at the at Metro Vancouver and then in my consulting practice and you know I worked with many 
organizations like I worked with Climate Smart for a while. I worked with the Sustainability Purchasing Network. So working with organizations that were engaging with businesses on one aspect of sustainability or another. And uh, that was fabulous work and like got to do figure out, you know, like I said, what jazzes me up is that, that what, what good things businesses are up to. So I got to always hear those great stories, but I was a bit frustrated by the economic piece of, of sustainability that, you know, it seemed to me that everybody just thought, oh, that's a business's bottom line. And when I became more and more interested in, you know, what if the economic side isn't just a business's bottom line, but it's how the business helped to create wealth in the community and it's the, the communities, you know, and the local economy. And, and so I started getting excited about, uh, about working on that. Um, we know that local BC does research and you've got a, uh, a buy local campaign. What are a couple of things that people don't know about local BC? Um, I think, well, one thing that often comes up is around our name. So most people will know that loco means crazy in Spanish. So maybe we're a little bit of that too. I don't know. But um, we, when we first started thinking about what our name should be, it doesn't really stand for it that a lot. It's not, uh, it's not an acronym, but we did think when we started, started thinking about what our name should be that... Um, that loco could mean uh, local company, it could mean local community, it could mean local connections, and in some ways our name makes reference to, uh, to all of what we work on in our organization. So okay. that's, that's what <laughs> um, I would say. Other things they don't know about us is that, uh, you know, we're more than just a networking organization. It, some, some people have heard of us in the lower mainland might think, oh, Loco, they do those. And, you know, sometimes we do events still, but we're, we're about much more than, than networking. And uh, we're really about the movement behind, uh, behind by local and, uh, and that we're, we're outside of Metro Vancouver. Um, you know, although we're, we're based here and uh, most of our members are based here and our events are mostly here, that uh, we work in partnership with, uh, with other groups across the province. Okay. So what is something or, or some things quirky or different that most people don't know about you about amy robinson yeah i would i'm a pretty open book but i would say that um i would say that a couple things that always surprise people are that i i worked in a casino to to pay my way through school so i used to be a blackjack dealer and i'm not i'm not really a gambler so it's a bit of an odd uh, odd thing for me to have done and uh and i used to i've never owned a car but i used to own a motorbike okay um what was your biggest failure and what did it teach you um i would say i would say that you know biggest failure one of the struggles we've had with uh, with the organization and, and, you know, we has been various contractors and staff and the board over the years is that, um, you know, wanting to do too much. And I think uh, we 
we had too much on the go at many times in the past. And so that really, you know, almost sank us at some point. And so we've always struggled with, uh, do we really want to be like a broad organization that's engaged with, you know, businesses and organizations uh, um, in a small way, or do we want to go deep with our partners? And so we, yeah, we, we almost had to close shop a couple of years ago because, because of that, we were just spread too thin and, um, and really started to focus on, on, you know, how, what are we really good at and what would the world be missing if we, if we did close down and realize that so many of, uh, of the organizations we work with across the province and businesses and others rely on us for the research that we do and uh, the stats and facts we've managed to produce around local economy and local business and, and really had to refocus on doing that as an organization. Okay. Um, has mentorship uh, play, or, or community of support played a role in your success? Yes, absolutely. Um, I would say that it's it's both um, a benefit and a struggle. I would say the community of support that I have there, the the organization Business Alliance for Local Living Economies that um, that inspired me to start Loco has a group. You know, we we there are organizations like ours uh, in many places across North America and in some other parts of the world, and so I really relied on them to connect me to other leaders to share you know what's working and tales from the trenches and just you know commiserate to some level, but also you know share what are the programs and practices what are the issues we need to focus on and so they used to have a a conference every year and they would have a network leaders day and so I used to get a lot out of that and I'm still connected to many of those the leaders of those networks and they turned that into a uh, fellowship program and into which I was accepted in 2013. And so that was a year and a half of uh, really a deep dive into leadership and, and getting connected to, uh, to a, you know, the, that cohort of, of mm-hmm. local economy leaders across, uh, from across North America, but also, you know, other cohorts from the previous year and then, and then many years since. So, uh, you know, these are really interesting people working with local businesses and, you know, some local business groups, some incubators, some social justice activists, some people, you know, in working in local farming and so really across the board. And so they're an amazing group of people. One thing I struggle with though, is none of them are here. And so, Mm -hmm. You know, because we're all working in our communities, you know, yes, technology and other things can connect us, but it's uh, that sometimes I I struggle with that, um, you know, even other leaders of networks like in Victoria or Calgary that I that I might want to just sit down with and and chat every once in a while about how things are going or how we can uh, how we can help each other. We're we're far away. Okay, who was your most important hire, either as a staff person or as a contractor and, and why were they important? Or why was that an important decision? Yeah, I, I, so there's been a couple people, so it's hard to pick between them. But uh, on a continuing basis, I would say that um, I, I brought on one of um, one of our board members became my co-director for several years, and she really brought uh, a great skill set to getting the organization 
you know, to where it is today and to, you know, helped us through that transition to refocus on, on research. And she has an amazing skill set in, in terms of like facilitation and strategic planning and digital strategy. It has really helped. She ran our by local campaign for several years. And, and so, um, you know, bringing her on as co-director and now she's back on the board as, as uh, board chair has really been one of the, uh, the best decisions I think that, uh, that I made. And it, you know, it was a difficult process to figure out how do we, you know, how do we share the job of executive director for a while? And, uh, and it was really a great, great decision to, uh, to bring her on board and get her invested in Loco's success. Okay. Are you a reader? Oh, avid reader. I love to read. Okay. So, <laughs> What was your favorite book as a child? I was, you know, I, my memory is short. So I was trying to think what, what books did I read as a child? I know I have a bunch of the Richard Scary books that my mom gave me to read to my child. So I think it's not really a lot of reading in there. There's a lot of photos, <laughs> uh, but it made me think this question about um, that. I didn't read Where the Wild Things Are when I was a child, but I did have several tiny little books from Maurice Sendak. And they're, you know, they're quirky and funny and kind of dark as well. As well. So I had uh, I had a little tiny, I think it, they called it a tiny library of like four little Maurice uh, Sendak bo- books. And they were they were one of my favorites. And then now I, you know, now I read to my son and he's uh, 13, almost 14. And I uh, continue to read to him we are you know we're reading just finished reading like ready player one and uh and are excited to see the movie and um i guess as a as a kid i love to read him maurice sendak's uh where the wild things are and uh, also dr seuss's oh oh the places you'll go yeah that's a great one so (laughs) as an adult what's what is your favorite book as an adult yeah, that's a tough question. I, I don't know. I, I would say that I get a new favorite every time I'm like just reading and immersed and can't put it down at night or, you know. Um, so I've had many, I, I love The English Patient. Um, and I loved uh, more of an obscure book that people may have not have heard about is The the Art of Racing in the Rain. It's this totally quirky book uh, written in the, from the, uh, persona of a dog and so it's really the dog's perspective but like it's a beautiful and touching book and um yeah just recently I read The Fault in Our Stars which I thought was a fabulously written book and uh yeah and Ready Player One I just you know it surprised me because I didn't think I was gonna love it I grew up in the 80s and and uh you know I burned through it and then I made my husband and son read it and (laughs) definitely a family favorite so so tonight, what are you going to be reading? What are you reading now? You know, I, I'm reading like a, a kind of a trashy book that I got. That I got in. Uh, I'll have to go and look. Uh, it's kind of funny because I I think it's poorly written, but the story somehow kept me going. And I found it from one of these. Uh, I don't know if in the Comox Valley you have these community libraries, but yeah. they're on every street corner practically. Yeah. East Van these days, and so I get a lot of my books. Through, I give and receive a lot of books through our um, community library these days. So right now it is her name is Christine Hanna, and it's called Firefly Lane. And 
you know, to be honest, it's the writing is kind of bad, but somehow the story compelled me enough to go through till the end. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and I'm well. not somebody who finishes every book. If it, if it doesn't catch me, I uh, I give it up. I'm, there's too many good books in the world to waste your time, I think. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so what is the smartest thing you've ever done? Uh, the smartest thing? I'd have to say, I mean... You know, I've been married for 17, almost 18 years. So I would, I'd, I'd say one of the smartest things I, I've ever done is pursuing my husband. So, uh, yeah. Sounds we've... like a story there. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah. Anyway, there is a story there. I'm not sure <laughs> I felt it, but, but no. uh, um, yeah, he, he and I have a great life and uh, my life wouldn't be the same without him. So. Okay. So that's probably one of the smartest things I've ever done. Well, congratulations. Thank um, you. What is the dumbest thing you've ever done? Um, I think, you know, I don't think like one thing stands out, but I, you know, like I said, I did have a, I did have a motorbike in the past and, you know, now as like a 47 year old mother of a 13 year old kid, I could, I could see the, um, I could see the draw of those kinds of things, but also, you know, now I know what I put my mother through <laughs> and, and really have a better sense of the risks that I was taking. So, so, um, you know, driving my motorbike on the 401, probably like by myself, you know, <laughs> um, when I was a kid, it was probably one of the, one of the dumber things. And, uh, I don't know. I just think there's the odd, decision I made when traveling by myself that put me at, at risk where I was lucky but that you know as an adult I'm, I, I think that I probably wouldn't make that choice again so okay well my father forbade me to ride motorcycles so um, yeah yeah and then years later my um, so what's the scariest thing you've ever done um I jumped out of a plane once. That was kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I would say, I would say probably starting loco was one of the scarier things I did in my life. I really, oh, yeah. uh, you know, just putting myself out there and, um, you know, the fear of failure and, you know, in a very public way and, uh, just like doing something that nobody had done and, and, um, you know, really having to roll with it and change it um, is, is probably one of the scarier, scarier things. I do a lot of public speaking and I, I have, hadn't really in the past and it's not, it was never my favorite thing. I'm much more comfortable with it now, but um, that's, you know, that, that was always a scary thing about really putting, you know, putting logo out there, realizing yeah. that we were trying to build a voice for business and that, that meant that I would need to be that voice. And how does that work for you? going through that scary thing well it's you know it's always a it's always good it always makes you feel more alive you know mm-hmm. um so yeah but at, at different times it's definitely um you know i'm more of an introverted person so it's it's sometimes hard to align you know what my body or my psyche needs and what my job requires of me so um you know i'm lucky if those two things align and i feel like being in a crowd of you know 50 or 75 people at one of our events and putting myself out there and doing the talk and you know there are other days where i'd rather uh you know crawl into a hole than do that <laughs> and, and yeah that's uh that's what's needed of me okay so this is um our own podcast series is <clears throat> inspired by tim ferris's uh tribe of titans um 
podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever listened to that. Uh, I think yeah. it's great. But um, this question comes from, from that series. So what new belief, behavior, or habit adopted within the last five years is having the most positive impact in your life today? That's a great question. And, uh, it's really clear to me which, which habit it is, and that's uh, mindfulness practice. So I have been, I read Tara Brock's, um, what's it called? Radical Acceptance. And I, she has these amazing podcasts that are about mindfulness and meditation. I don't, I don't necessarily meditate that much, but I, but I listen to a lot of, of her um, and read a lot about, uh, about mindfulness. And, um, and so really just being, being present and um, trying to accept things as they are and has really been huge in my life. Okay. <clears throat> if you could have a conversation with someone who died before you were born, who would that be and what would you talk about? Yeah, I I don't really know. I never have the ready answer for the who would the three people at dinner be. But, <laughs> but I think, honestly, if I could have a conversation with anybody who... Uh, he didn't die before I was born, but he died when I was young. And that was my dad. Mm. You know, I never got to know him as an adult. So I guess he died before I grew up. And so I think, I don't know what we would talk about. I think, I I think now being a parent, I see like my relationship with my mother is so different. And I, I really missed that opportunity with my dad. So I think that I would love to just have an adult conversation with him and just, you know, see how he had grown and, and, you know, just see what he was like as a, as a dad of me as an adult. Okay. Um, Nice answer. Um, Are you familiar with Vancouver Island? Yes, um, not intimately, but yeah, I've, I've done my share of traveling up there. I, I actually know, uh, have some good friends who live in Cumberland and, and uh, I'm familiar with the Comox Valley area and what, uh, what's going on there a little bit. Do you want to give a shout out to your Cumberland friends or not? That's Step and Robin. Oh yeah. Right. They do so many fun <laughs> things there. They, yeah. they moved in and, and all of a sudden they had a huge community around them. They do, they're very you know, community focused people yeah, and they're in the arts. And so they're doing fun things like improv and, and uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I miss, we miss them here, but uh, it's really nice when we get to see them again. Well, they're lift members and they've been a huge contribution to our larger community. And um, um, I'll definitely mention that you're, that they mentioned to them that you've mentioned them. So yeah. what is one thing every Vancouver Islander should do this year? Something that that's important to you, but maybe other Islanders don't know about or don't know the value of. Oh my God, spend your money with Vancouver Island businesses. <laughs> like, <that> is, <laughs> like a broken record, but uh, you know, and, and I, I guess find the, find the value in it. It's not all, it's not all, it shouldn't always be, about like why you should do something um, or it, it having to be something that's more expensive or some kind of detriment to you. I think so often people get excited when they hear the story of a new business or learn what, you know, what somebody is really putting into their, into their community through their business. And so, and so, you know, it's like, get to know what uh, a business, maybe you already know, get to know what they're really doing uh, that you didn't know already. And um 
yeah, just, you know, see the value in it and, and ideally put the money, money towards that value whenever you can. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to ask this. This is a really appropriate question for you. If someone gave you $1 million to support local entrepreneurs, what three things would you do? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that I would love a million dollars. <laughs> You've got a line somewhere. Um, I think that, you know, one of the things that we're really see as important is the interconnectedness of business. So it's not just that we think restaurants and retailers are so important for the economy um, for no reason. It's that we understand that they support a whole ecosystem of business through their through their supply chain. And so I would work on more of those initiatives to really engage businesses in doing as much as they can to support other service providers through their supply chains. So sometimes that's you know, inventory or ingredients in your products, but often it's other service providers like banks and credit unions and, you know, accounting firms and other things where there might be multinational uh, competition. So I think supply chains are so important and uh, there's some of the huge benefit of buying from an independent business is that you support that, that ecosystem of business that they support. So I would absolutely do work on, on local supply chains and uh, I think to to improve the social practices of businesses to, you know, get them to see how they can do social hiring. It's a, it's a huge thing in the city of Vancouver, really, the the issues we have around uh, poverty and and lack of employment and for folks who have may have barriers to employment. So I think that that uh, that would be another thing is uh, is to drive more um more social purchasing and um, social hiring and various various things that can really improve society in, in certain ways. And then, you know, I'm a big advocate for removing the barriers to business to just to do their thing. Businesses have have a great impact to make and so much red tape just gets it gets in their way. And so, you know, I think there are a lot of strategies that can help them with affordable leasing and uh, reducing red tape at the government level. So that's, that's something we, we continue to work on, but man, would I love for it to be better funded. Okay. Good. Um, great, uh, great ideas there. And maybe, uh, maybe we can find some ways to, um, to do some things together on that. Uh, what advice do you have for young entrepreneurs on Vancouver Island? I guess I, you know, one thing I think uh, growing an organization or growing a business that that always comes into play is how to balance your values. And, you know, I see it so often. There's a lot of uh, the startup culture in Vancouver and a lot of tech businesses. And I, I see it so often that the, you know, that the values get lost a little bit as a business tries to scale. And so, yeah, my advice would be to make sure that you, you take your take your values along for the ride and, you know, continue to innovate around, you know, if you if you care about local and you're growing, then, you know, we need to figure out new ways to support local businesses uh, while we grow instead of always uh, centralizing and partnering up with big multinational corporations or going public or whatever it is uh, as we grow. Okay, good one. Um, what's your favorite place to eat in the whole world? In the whole world, it, you know, I love 
restaurants and I love eating out, but I think my favorite place to eat is at home. I, uh, I love to cook and uh, we have a, a big dining room, which is a luxury in the city of Vancouver. So often, you know, if there's a holiday, I'm often filling it with my friends just because I can. So, you know, I, I would say my favorite restaurant is probably Tojo's. Um, and I, you know, I love to cook and I'm a good cook. So when I eat out, I, I want someone to blow me away with the artistry of food and, you know, flavor and texture and, you know, visual interest and all those kinds of things. So Tojo is a, is a master. So I, I love him, but, uh, but I love to eat at home. Okay. That's very local. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it's been great talking to you, Amy. Um, I'm looking forward to you coming to visit in one of our events and uh, then we can connect you with Step and Robin. Yeah. Um, uh, in the meantime, if there's anything we can do uh, at Lyft to support the work you're doing at Local BC, uh, please let us know. And I'll be publishing this uh, podcast shortly and with, with some links to, um, to your site. Excellent. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's been a lot of fun. Take yeah. care. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lyft Podcasts a series all about the entrepreneurs, creatives, and resource people who are growing local businesses. If you liked what you heard, please share via email or social media. And if you are sharing via social media, please use Vancouver Island's talent brand or talent tag, hashtag W-E-A-R-E-V-A-N-I-S-L. That's hashtag We Are Van Isle. This is one of the tools we've created to promote entrepreneurs on the island. Lyft is able to do its work thanks to the support of solution sponsors like SureCopy Courtney, Mastermind Strategy, 50th Parallel Public Relations, Finneron Hyundai, Jabin Postal Films, Presley and Partners, and 98.9 The Goat, as well as community partners like Atlas Cafe, The Island Word, My Tech Guys, McKinnon Photography, Island Soul Films, Investors Group, The Creator Space, and Douglas Magazine. Together, we're making shift happen for local businesses. Thanks for listening.